Hi, welcome to Morning Talk Show. Today, my conversation with Lois Letchford, in which we delve into literacy and some of my own literacy struggles as an adult. Hi, welcome. Uh, today, my interview with Lois Letchford. Um, Lois is a literacy expert. She works with children, um, and she wrote a fascinating memoir called um, Reversed a Memoir. Um, and I specifically contacted Lois because um, I have had difficulty engaging in reading. I can read, but um, I find that I struggle to stay focused, um, even as an adult, even as someone with a fairly high degree of, of comprehension. So um, I wanted to see what insights she would have on that and just learning in general. And I think that's what came from the conversation. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Lois is passionate. She's um, a deeply feeling person and a caring person. And that comes through. She taught her own son, um, to read when it was uh, seem it seemed impossible, and uh, he's gone on to be quite successful. But we get into that. Um, so uh, I'll have links below to Lois's website and her book, uh, and and more resources. Thanks for watching. I hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, please like and subscribe if you want to see more content like this. Thanks very much, um, Lois Letchford. Yes. Uh, welcome to uh, Morning Talk Show, and thank you very much for being here. Um, I, uh, I contacted you uh, for a specific reason that we may or may not get to, uh, because I'm, I'm just interested in whatever's on your mind in your area of expertise. But the reason that I was drawn to talking to a reading expert is that I myself um, have been struggling to, um, how will I put this? I, like, I, I, I'm a relative, and this is, not, this is not me trying to sound self-justifying, I'm a relatively intellectual person. I really like to think, I really get excited about ideas, and at a certain point in my, uh, like already in my 30s, I became uh, obsessed as a lot of people are these days with audio based and video based um, ways of, of getting ideas across. So podcasts uh, and, and videos and lectures online and that kind of thing. And, and I experienced an explosion of, I think an explosion of, of thoughts in my head that seemed like they had been waiting to be released and always seemed to me like what should be released through reading but I, I've always had difficulty reading. And it's something that is, a, is actually one of the few things that I carry around that is a bit of a shame, shame it causes me shame. Um, where sitting with a book, um, 
sitting with a, a book and trying to read it. I compared it once to um, putting a leash on a dog and then holding him and not taking him for a walk. Um, my, my mind, and I know this isn't the focus of, this wasn't your issue with your son, Nicholas. Um, well, or maybe it was. Okay, wait. Yeah, you speak now. I, I don't know why I'm ranting like this, but yes. This I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> my son's story could have been your story. It could have been the same. In fact, it could have been worse. Mm. My son learned to read through privilege. Mm. And it was the privilege of travel. I'll give you mm. a quick synopsis. Mm. In 1994, he failed first grade. Mm. Testing showed he could read 10 words. He had no strengths and a low IQ. Mm. He sat in the classroom, bit his fingernails, wet his pants, and the teacher shouted at him. Mm. The prognosis is this child will never learn to read. Sound like you? Um, well, that's the, that's the interesting thing. It, it, yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I don't recall specific struggles in the learning of the technical side. I wasn't... I wasn't stigmatized about it, but I think it became, I think, I, I think that reading was maybe miscategorized or something for me where it was a, it was a discipline I had to learn. Like it was, um, yeah, like, cause I, cause I've heard you speak about Nicholas and it does sound different from my story in that my teachers said I was smart. Um, and I, I don't know if it, I, I don't know if it was for other reasons. I don't think my reading was ever, uh, like far above the other kids or anything like that. But it's actually something to do with taking in information through print. silent me media. Yeah, silent means and looking at print. So while I, uh, I, I understand and I, I think your story is extremely inspiring, um, in one way, the, 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 the actual problem was maybe more obvious than it was in my case. What I'm trying to figure yes. out is if what I'm trying to figure out is if there is actually something in, in me and in my learning style that has made this true for me that has caused this this long term issue. Like someone will want to lend me a book and I'll say in my head, I'm like, oh, uh, I, I don't know. You know, it'll take I'll have it for a long time. Like it'll take me a long time. You won't get it back. I won't be done this week. Like if you want it back in the next few months, don't lend it to me. That kind of thing. So I don't know what's I didn't mean to get on to me. I was just sorry. No, it's perfect. Go. I grew up reading words I couldn't comprehend. Mm. So in a way, I'm like you. Mm in that I was never identified, but mm. no one ever said I was smart. Mm. And you learn the code, you learn how to crack the code, but your interest and desire to read is not there. Mm. I describe reading as a child like wading through mud. Yes, yeah, that's, that's how it feels for me, very much so. Yeah. You actually identified that when you were a child, you said that. Is that what you're saying? Or you're looking back and saying that? Um, both, I think. Wow. Both. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, you just sit in class 
and you work really hard mm. for very poor results. Right. Yeah. It, it almost seemed like a party trick, like reading was a, a party trick. You can show how quickly you can read a, read a page or like it was something, not a party trick, but like just a, a discipline, not, not this thing that brings alive a, a, a whole new world of learning. Yes. Yeah. yeah so we're excluded from that. Mm. Yes. I think because my son was so far out of the system, mm. it pushed me to do things that were far more, uh, you know, different out of the box mm -hmm. than if he was your eye. Because they mm -hmm. turn around and say to us, well, you just haven't tried hard enough. Yes. And I, in I internalize that very much. Yes. Keep going. Yeah. But that, um. So because of my son and he had no memory for words, letters or sounds, I had to do something entirely different. Mm. He had no decoding skills. Mm -hmm. And then we went away to Oxford for six months and that's where I took him on. And, you know, you get these books, success for all, fail. Mm. That's when I started with poetry and poetry cocoons the sounds in, in words and ideas. Mm. So you're not just dealing with decoding, you're teaching children to comprehend mm. and decode and get phonemic awareness. What, what's, uh, sorry, what's phonemic awareness? Phonemic awareness is the ability to see that um, sounds um, now I've gotten the uh, original definition of it but you can play with the sounds that mm. words have made up of particular stop ah uh, right okay yeah. yeah right yeah, yeah. dividing it up you, yes and if you change one sound in the word you can then totally change the meaning but there's a lot of work on our children don't get the sounds Mm -hmm. And so we play and play and play with the sounds. And that's all really important. Right. But we cannot forget the comprehension. Mm. Right? Yes, yes, sorry. <laughs> where, do you, where do you want to go with this? Because well, this is there, exploding. Yeah, there, it, it, definitely, <laughs> it, it definitely is, is a, a, a full fulsome topic it's it's full yeah. of full of things um well one of the, i'll just say things as they come to my mind uh, and we'll we'll knit this together but um it seems to me that um uh so that that sometimes and you can correct if this is your experience let me know that sometimes we actually don't realize the intelligence of children's uh mistakes you don't realize the actual and um, valuable thought process that went into the mistake that they make, like misusing a word um, or associ associating the wrong meaning, but then forming a thought based on that, forming actually a, a fairly logical thought if that had been true. Does that make sense? Here's my example for that. Yeah. The reading teacher sent my son home with the sentence, I saw a cat climb up a tree. Mm. And he read, I saw a cat. Mm -mm. I was a cat. Mm -mm. I saw a cat and I asked a cat. 
And I say to teachers, what's going on when a child does this? And they say, he's dyslexic. Mm. Instead of, this kid has the meaning of the word, the concrete meaning of the word, meaning to cut. Mm. And the background for this is my son had just spent six months in Oxford. Mm -hmm. And in Brisbane, Australia, our home, we have birds everywhere in the trees. We have blossoms in the trees and they're climbing on the roof at night. Mm. We've got bats in the sky. We have lizards on the ground. There aren't cats. Mm. And although cats may occur in books, it's not within the experience of the child. Mm. Yeah. And if the teacher had been thinking, she, she would have said, what did you see in England? Mm. He's been there. He knew we didn't cut anything in half. Right. Yeah. And it took me a whole hour to teach him that this word has multiple meanings. And when you come to a sentence like, I saw a cat, you say, I cut it in half. That doesn't make sense. Then I've got to go to another meaning, means to look. Mm, yeah, so. And it's in the teaching where we fail children. Yeah, that, I, I think that's true. And it seems like you have a, a little person there who is doing their absolute best to um, apply the world that they've seen with the world that is on the page. And if they don't do that, then reading does become a, a party trick. It becomes something to appease the adults. And, and if they're like people like myself and you, maybe are, it, I, I don't want to say we're at a disadvantage, but because I could always just do it as a trick and just get through the sentence, um, then, you know, that, like, and I, and I understood meaning too, but I, I do think mm -hmm. there was something, there was something disconnected from the meaning and the mm -hmm. learning. They weren't connected connected yeah because of my son i went on to teach children who'd failed numerous reading programs mm. and i became a reading specialist mm. one of the first things i do with children is ask them to read the first 10 sight words mm. uh, i in two four a few others it of and i ask them to give me a sentence with the word T-O. Okay, I'll ask you, give me a sentence with the word T-O. Okay. I would like to go to the store. Perfect. My Thank students you. will say to me, I have two hands. Ah, right. Okay. And, and it's, okay, yeah, because they're associating a sound with a meaning, just like they're supposed to do, and then they kind of get slapped down for it. Uh, what, what jumped out to me is you talked about spending an hour um, on the different meanings of that word. And so it, it occurs to me that like there, we just have a time issue sometimes with the teaching because if you are in the classroom with a bunch of different learning styles and the majority of the kids are kind of going at this pace, um, like then you then there are kids who just need more time but the teacher doesn't necessarily have more time but then that's one problem and then another problem is that level of the teacher not having the humility to say it yeah something goes insight. on in the teacher insight, insight yes yeah why that's 
particular scenario is interesting for me is it came from the reading teacher, not the classroom teacher, and the reading teacher was working with my son four days a week, one-on-one, -on -one, 30 minutes per day. Mm. Not the classroom teacher. So that's the one who said that, that he was uh, the worst student? That was the school diagnostician. Oh, okay. Wow. But the two worked together mm. and they talked together mm. and that was the scenario. And that's where we come up with the deficit theory. The child can't learn. The sentence, you know, they just don't put in enough effort and we don't look at the teaching. Mm. That effort thing it really it gets under my skin because it has plagued me my whole life. Um, like just as a, an example outside of reading. And one of the, one of the reasons I wanted, like, this is, this is a bit vulnerable for me because I, I'm, ta I'm talking about some of the ways that I feel that my brain works differently. And it's something in me is, is, is saying, you're just justifying yourself. You're just trying to justify your own laziness. But uh, I still think it's important to, 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 to unpack it maybe because I, I've never, I, another thing that I've not been great at is organization and um, you know, the way that it's been characterized to me is that uh, if you, if you put in the effort, you would be organized because organized for, for organized people. Okay. So this is, this is dovetailing into a thought for organized, <laughs> for organized people, the steps seem so simple to stay organized. But then when I'm, cause I, I'm a graphic designer, musician outside. I don't talk about it in the podcast, but um, my main pursuits that I do naturally are entirely on the creative side. Um, and so um, I'm wondering if there is, if you've noticed something where the child, the child or whoever, whoever is trying to learn to read, um, there, if there are actual advantages in their, in their personality that stem from the same place that their disadvantages stem from. In other words, the reason I'm not, one reason I'm not organized, and yes, I can learn to be better organized, but one reason that I'm not naturally organized is that my mind is very good at connecting disconnected ideas, yes. and my mind it, it spreads out like a cloud finds idea finds ideas that other people don't connect and connects them together and and clearly that could inhibit your ability to take your life yeah. and and yeah. neatly put it into little boxes yeah. so i'm wondering if there's an, a corollary with kids and reading like uh, your your son is a, a mathematical yeah. genius or or a very strong mathematically yeah. um are those two things connected? And is that a, is that a thing you can trans, you can transmit to children? Like uh, that you can let them know that this is, this comes from the same place as something wonderful about Helpful. themselves. I don't know about that mm. and I haven't studied it. Mm. Uh, but you know, what happened in my life is that in school, because we don't read effectively, we then miss other skills as well. Okay, yeah. So it's it's all a combination of many things, isn't it? But I mm. it could possibly be right that you have this disconnect but you could really strong on others. Yeah.
Yeah, I think it's kind of something that I've heard more spoken about in terms of mental health or or things like autism and Asperger's, which is no longer a a, a diagnos diagnosis, I think, but uh, where um, there are, it's very clear if someone has um, a certain type of Asperger's and a certain level of intelligence that um, there are actual things they can do that other minds can't do. Can't do. And part of just part of that whole machinery um, working well means that this other thing doesn't work well, interpreting facial expressions or reading social yeah. cues, you know? So I, I, I've kind of, I wonder, it feels like maybe as a society, we might be on the verge of, of trying to understand people more and, and maybe the, maybe even ideas of um, deficits and, um, disadvantages and and um, Ill, mental illness and that kind of thing will actually be transmogrified into like they could be markers for some greater ability in another area yeah I don't know I, I appreciate you saying that you haven't studied that because I, I like I get from you a strong sense of being a lifelong learner yourself um, like you were before we officially started the interview, you were very excited about how, what you're learning about curiosity um, and how curiosity is not um, not encouraged or not properly harnessed in children. Oh, it's, it's you look at Nicholas's learning, and we, you know, it's different. We were out of the school system, and we're in Oxford, you know, the centre of the world for learning with all of these artefacts around us. And we start learning about Captain Cook. And he got enthusiastic when we saw the maps and mm. asked these amazing questions. And that dragged and, and pushed our learning. When you're inquiring about things and you're calm and excited, it changes what's being activated in the brain. And mm -hmm. that's what happened to him. Mm. You know, this kid who had nothing going for him could tell you the history of world mapping. Mm. And it's not a normal seven-year-old topic. Right. Huh. That's amazing. Yeah. But yeah. that was the foundation for his learning. Then the letters and sounds fitted it in so nicely and easily. And he said, then you've got a reason for it. There's value in it. Yeah. So really what I think we do is we start with letters and sounds and it's like a ladder and we've mm. taken away the first five runs. Right. Huh. And we forget what else is involved that right. we need these letters and sounds mm. and how meaning connects with them, which yeah. is where you and I fell apart. Mm. It, it, another analogy that comes to my mind, I like the latter thing. Uh, another one is that um, it, it's like going into um, a building class and you spend a month uh, learning each tool and you get, you set it in front of you, you go, this is a hammer. Uh, someday you'll, you'll pound in a nail with this, uh, you know? And, and, and so after a month of doing that, you've, you've become habituated. You might maybe even resentful to that hammer and, and you've never even, put in a nail or so is, is that an okay analogy i have two analogies i don't know 
Which one do you want me to start with? I'll oh. start with the tree. Mm. It's like planting a tree. How does a tree grow? It doesn't grow by us hitting it or shouting at it or screaming or anything. It grows when we water it mm. and we fertilise it. And it's got to be in the right tree in the right climate. Mm. And if those things aren't in place, that tree will not grow. Mm. And I see the trunk as the letters and sounds and the right. teacher is the one that has to water it mm. and feed it. So are we putting children in an environment where they're keen to learn, want to learn, see value, yeah. understand the tools, understand how they're used, and it's a complex web. Right. right. We're not just using the hammer and get to it and think, mm. what do I do with it now? That's, uh, yeah. And then the tree has roots. So, yes. uh, and the roots, this is the thing about learning that is so hard. And I think there's almost something in society now that fights against this because there's a lot of, of what goes into learning and thought that is actually before any of the specific thoughts. And, and so it, like you're, there's a groundwork that might not be related. So there's this, um, I have nothing specifically against um, what Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. Yes. You, know, you know about that? Yeah. Yes. I think that's true for a discipline. And yet as a musician, I have found, or as a, like, as a songwriter, I have found that um, there is so much work unrelated completely unrelated to singing or playing or, or anything that goes into that informs being a songwriter. And right. it's, it's more obvious in that than it might be in some, in some other things, but there's, there's roots. Um, and, and, and yeah, so I, I'm, you're nodding. I, I assume that you have a part that the roots are part of that analogy for you as well. And that's the part we can water. They wear their, their water and their food through the roots and we can only grow them through the roots. Mm. And, you, you know, everything, you know, the language, if children aren't speaking clearly, the impact of ear infections on language development is huge. Oh, wow. And we don't, yeah, we don't know what's gone on when a child arrives at school at six years old. Mm -hmm. And we expect they've all had five years of the same experiences in life, mm -hmm. but they haven't. Mm. And so you're absolutely right. Mm. Um, so when you're doing your teaching, do you, do you jump into their life experience? Do you get them to sketch out their history for you verbally or, or, um, or do you, yeah. How do you, do you, how do you deal with that? I tread very carefully because a lot of students are afraid and they have failed for so long that I want the experiences with me just to be positive. Hmm. So, I write the poems and work through poetry. And the only time I start talking about the past is when my students are competent readers. Okay. It takes about six to eight months for us to say, this is what it was like. Mm. It, it's fascinating how much work has to be done before you can even go and start touching the pain that children have been through mm. in school. How do, you, how do you get a sense for when that time is? Because that would be an important skill even for adults to be able to, in their friendships and relationships, to, um, to tell when it's time 
when it's a good and productive time to talk about the pain of someone's past? I often do it through books mm-hmm. so that you'll find a book that they connect with. Mm. And we start looking at that person's experience and then the child will say, ah, oh, but that, that I had da, da, da. I see. This is, yeah. So you pay attention to their responses to the characters in a narrative, who they relate yes. to, who they don't yes. relate to. Oh, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, and that brings me to something that something that's always on my mind uh, it is empathy when I have these conversations and, and having empathy for other people. But I have a, as I was listening to your pod, things that you've been on and reading things you've written, um, I, I, I had a complicated thought about empathy. And so let's see if I can get it across uh, in a way that doesn't just sound too obvious or, or too complicated. Um, that my thought was that it sounds like the way you're teaching uh, is, is kind of dependent on empathy or, or, or like it's, it's dependent on the teacher investing in, in the student as a specific entity, as a specific person and not as a, um, not as a unit of teaching, you know, I'm teaching this cube, you know? Um, and so that my first thought is that's empathy. But then my second thought is, does calling it empathy Oh, uh, does calling it empathy actually give a teacher too much of a, a hero complex? Like, the, the, it should just be the way that we relate to other people. You know what I mean? It, 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 it is empathy, but empathy has this, this connotation. Does this make sense? Empathy has a connotation of like, I am in the position of power and strength. I'm better than you. Uh, I'm going to learn about you um, because I'm so empathetic and I'm going to teach you that way rather than seeing yourself as just different people who are equal in many ways. Does that? Yeah, it's a tough one. (laughs) Sorry. It's, it's a pretentious thought. (laughs) It's a tough one because I'm empathetic to my students because I've Mm. been there. Right. And I can feel their pain. Mm. You know, even them coming to me is a huge deal. Mm. Many teachers, like you said, in the classroom situation, just learn it, kid. Mm. And there's too many kids in this class Mm. to deal with. Yeah. And that becomes more difficult. And it goes back to mindset, I think. Mm. What does the teacher think of that child? Well, sorry, that kid's just dumb. Right. Sorry for my language, yeah. but that's no, no. their inner thought. Yeah. And I can't do much for them. Right. That teach that kid is actually inhibiting my career. Yep. <laughs> yep. Stopping me from hard. getting all my kids through the exam. Yeah. 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 And we haven't worked out what we have to do to include that way that that child in the classroom that will work for many more children. Mm. And that's the problem. And you're right. Some of that has to do with the speed at which we want children to learn. Mm. Yeah. Because reading is such a a fundamental skill. It's not the same. It's not even, it's kind of the same as math. Like math would be the closest other thing, but like a lot of other skills that kids might learn in school are not skills that will 
avalanche into a life of uh, of of meaning and and growth and all that like reading will and it almost makes me wonder if there should be more more emphasis placed on reading and less emphasis placed on other things early on or how do you how do you feel about that like should what do you mean by reading or more <laughs> there should be more <laughs> emphasis placed on learning to read and on learning about the students, like almost like kindergarten should just be reading school or meaning school, like, well, and lots of games and things that relate to reading, but they don't necessarily know it's reading, but it's all about getting that reading. Is that too extreme? No. The, I think, you know, the, the biggest disadvantage we have for reading is that most children learn to read with ease, mm. 50%, 60%. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was the other way round, there would be a greater understanding of what goes wrong mm-hmm. with the people that struggle. Right. Yeah. And when we say we're not teaching children to read, what does that mean? Does it mean we have to do more phonics? And now yeah, we've no. got, that's right. And <laughs> now everything's in sound bites. So mm-hmm. we're going to do the science of reading. Right. What does that mean? <laughs> There's right. gazillion, thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours of research put into volumes and published. How mm. many people, how many teachers read that research? Right. How many teachers are aware of the complexity of language mm. and the problems it causes for struggling readers? Mm. Right. You know, it's uh, so that's it's why, huge. It's huge. Yeah. I feel like there should be someone like you in every school. Like there has just to be. Yes. A full-time reading person who goes from yeah. class to class, who everybody in the school meets at some point and who's involved in, in daily school life. It seems, like a, it seems like a small outlay. I mean, maybe one's not enough, but it seems like a small outlay of money for what it would do for those students. Right? <sighs> You know, like you are, what you're, you must be a similar age to my son. 39. Well, he's a bit younger, but he's just entered his 30s. But I cannot comprehend what would have happened in his life if we had not been away in that six months in 95. Mm. You know, the kid's not very smart. Mm. And then they keep hammering, hammering, hammering with the phonics and he can't get it. Right. Yeah. So we have to think wider than just phonics. If the child isn't getting it, what else do we have to do? Yeah. You talked about an analogy before. Mm -hmm. We talked about the tree. Oh, yes. You did the one and not the other. Yeah. The second analogy for me is being like a medical specialist, a doctor who's dealing with cancer. Mm -hmm. Right. We, We know that we've been through the general practitioner, they send us off to the specialist. That the specialist identifies da-da-da-da-da, got to do. And then he gets all the blood work, does all the work to say, you've got cancer, you've got this type, and this is how we're going to treat you. And he gets all the chemistry ready. Mm. Good. How do we deliver that to the patients? Through a drip. The mm. patient sits passively mm. and receives it. Okay. Agree? Yeah. Right. In literacy, we can do the same thing. But 
they can't put children on a drip. Mm. It's got to be in a tablet that the child will take. Mm. Right. How are you going to get them? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's the difference. You know, so yes, we've got to get these skills across. How are we going to do it? Mm. And the child has to be actively engaged in it so that they can remember it and spit it out again. Mm. And there goes back to your curiosity before you start doing the letters and sounds and how can we put them in in a way that the child will remember it. And then understand how complicated the written word is because mm. yeah. it looks simple, right. but it's not. No. Yeah, there's, I mean, aside from homonyms and things where there's the, sa- the same sound, there's also, I mean, if you look at religious stories and how they're passed on, there's such a depth in what could be a simple narrative. Like I'm, I'm you know, almost 40 and I will still get a new insight out of an old story I've known my whole yeah. life. There's an encoding yeah. there. There's a, a much deeper pattern of reality that's expressed in effective writing and an effective narrative. And uh, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really sad to think of, of kids being barred from that, uh, some of that, simply by not having the right technical skill to yeah. mine it out yeah. or something. What you're talking about is the gap between the oral language and the written language. Mm, right. When we talk, you've got, you can see me, I've got eye contact, we've got hand movement, we've got all of those Inflection. Yes. Written language is much more sophisticated. Mm. Even songwriting, how many drafts do you do before you say, I'm happy it's publishable? Right. I've replaced every, I think in one song I replaced every word. Yes. By the end. Yes. (laughs) I don't know how many drafts it is, but yeah. (laughs) Lots. Crazy. Yeah. And we don't recognise that when we come to writing. We mm. think it's, it's the same, but it's not. Mm. And it's one of the reasons I take short stories and books, little books for children, and turn it into plays so mm. that it does become oral language. Mm. And if that language is a bit different to what you would normally say, let's change the words so that they are what you say. Mm. And we'll ha- then you get... How would you say that, the inflection, Mm. as in our language? Mm. And then you're not reading a paragraph, you're reading a line or two, and it becomes a conversation. And Mm. it's a real stepping stone to independent reading. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you find that um, most of the students that need extra help learning to read do have a fairly fairly well-developed or fairly... Um, normal, I don't like that word, uh, uh, a relatively average um, verbal acuity? Like It depends on the child. Some are really good and yeah. they're the ones that throw the, the teachers. You haven't got enough decoding, but it's still the language problem right. that they haven't got. And you might have heard me talk about it, the role that pronouns play mm-hmm. in any text. And it goes back to the teaching. We ask the child to read the word like he. It's Mm. easy to read, isn't it? Mm. We ignore 
that every time you come to the word he in a text, it will change depending on the context. Mm. Have we taught the children how the written language works? Mm. When you come to he, replace it with the most relevant pronoun. Hmm. This started with me when I was dealing with some third graders, mm-hmm. eight-year-olds, and I had a book called R Said Stork. It's written for children who are one year old. And it's R Said Stork, I will peck this egg. He pecked at it, but it would not break. And there's the picture of the stork pecking at the egg. And the next page is the elephant stamped on it, double page spread of the elephant stamping on a neck. Lion bit it. Chimp right. hit it. Blah, blah, right. blah. And Very I get simple to the idea end- that's illustrated. Yes. Yeah. And I get to the end of the book and I say to my students, what's the it? And all three of them threw their hands up and said, it, it is nothing. <laughs> Interesting. And if children don't comprehend the word it, when there are three and four words on a page, they won't comprehend text when it gets further and more and more complex. And those might've been children who could have read that sentence fairly easily and convinced the teacher that they were ready to move on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But you, but you're saying you brought it back to what is the meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And, And, so the, the pictures, using the pictures uh, made me think, this might be a slight left turn, but um, I've noticed my son's in grade two and uh, he's learning to read and he's not, he's not having difficulty as, as far as I can tell. He's doing well, which is, which is nice. It's, it's a bit of a relief. Um, but uh, what I notice is he's, he's so hung up on the meaning of what's going on. He's very invested in the meaning. He's very invested in every photo or every picture. Every picture. So if we turn a, pic- a page and there's a new picture, I have to give him Tom. 30 seconds to yeah. take in that whole picture. I see him staring. Or yeah. when he's reading, he will slow down because of the meaning of what's going on. I and mean, sometimes he'll slow down because he's distracted. But other times he'll slow down because he's processing the meaning and he'll say, oh, oh, that's rude, you know, or, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I actually, even in myself experience, sometimes an impatience that I have to wait that 30 seconds. And my temptation is to actually try to get him to start ignoring the picture. And uh, which is really silly. I mean, I know that it's silly, but in the moment I think, okay, if he, ignored, if he ignored the picture, we would not only be done with this sooner, um, he would actually be less dependent on the pictures to discover the meaning of what he's saying. Almost like the picture is a crutch. Um, but what a silly thing, because I mean, even, even in myself, this, I'm just basically talking to myself now, forgive me. But (laughs) when, like, if the picture is actually helping him experience that words are a world of meaning of like that words form pictures, like that's a beautiful thing. And that should be how it is. But the, the time issue comes up again where, you know, you, you, you need to go to, you need to get to supper. You need yes, to get yes, to bed. Yes. And so I guess that's just, I don't really have a question there. It's just something about how we need you know to know what I would time, do. It's hard. I would have sticky notes and ask him to tell you what he's thinking about the picture hmm. and write down his thoughts 
on a sticky note and then you stick it on the appropriate picture. Oh, that's an interesting idea. It engages you as the parent. Mm-hmm. You're getting his thinking, putting his thinking into words mm. and you're writing the words down. So he's got more to read. You're connecting everything. You're not getting frustrated. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not like getting livid or anything no. like that, but yeah, it's sometimes I get antsy. Yeah. You know. And you're enhancing the experience for both of you. Hmm. That's interesting. That's a good idea. See, there's multiple ways of approaching reading. Right. And that's what we forget. Mm. Um, how would you describe the multiple, like, do you have kind of categories you've created for the ways of, of approaching reading? Yes. Yes, I do. I certainly teach decoding, but that's not my first point. Mm. I actually start with a whole with something to read to my students, mainly because my students have failed to have the fun out of reading. Mm. And I turn a book into plays and I read to them first. Hmm. So I'm giving them value in in why are we reading? Hmm. And if they don't like what I've got, we'll find something else. Or I use poetry. Hmm. So that's the whole. Mm. I certainly teach children how to decode explicitly and multisensory. And the third component is all the language, what I've been doing, like the uh, sight words, making sure they understand that T-O and T-W-O, although the sound the same, have different meanings. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of those words in the first hundred words. Mm that children have to read. Hmm. And they are they're much more difficult for mm-hmm. children to read. And the word what, I had a 15-year-old who would keep saying for hat hmm. because he's trying to decode it, hasn't got the right decoding. Mm-hmm. And then how do you do it? It comes out of your oral language all the time. Right. We're saying what, what, what. So... That's how I taught them and teach sight words in a way that is meaningful to the child. Hmm. Connecting the oral language and the written language, like I've suggested you do with sticky notes. Mm -hmm. That must be so different for for a 15-year-old who theoretically is having much more complicated thoughts and things than than a younger child when they still have an issue with the reading. Yes, um, and the, my biggest challenge all the time is finding appropriate material that they will want to read. Yeah, That's and that would get harder the older they get, right? Because I know that my son is um, is interested. He's the stories are are just right for him. There's the right amount yeah. of danger. There's the right amount of yeah. of whatever. But um, interesting. You know what books? Uh, this is just a, a personal on a personal note. We read all of the Ramona books by Beverly Cleary to our children. And um, I thought as an adult, those are, those are the, maybe the best books I've ever read at, at explaining complicated emotions and personal, uh, personal issues and family issues in words that a child could understand. And my children were so invested emotionally in those books. And I was too, like uh, they, they, 
I've never, I mean, I recommend that to, to anyone, any older person with maybe some learning, dis, learning yeah. uh, or issues, reading issues, because they, the language is quite simple and yes. un, there's no big words. And, and so that's a really, to me, that's a literary, um, that's quite an accomplishment to be able to do yeah. that. So yeah, um, sorry, go ahead. And you want children to be emotionally invested in the reading. Mm-hmm. We don't want them just get through the book and finish it and throw yeah. it away. Yeah. You know, let's stay on this page a little bit longer. We want mm. depth of learning, not shallow stuff. Right. So and anything that creates active engagement in the book and the text is a bonus for mm-hmm. our children. Yeah. Um, another thing that came uh, into my mind that when I was researching you that ties into kind of one of my um, one of my main things I want to talk about in the podcast is the idea of, um, of life vocations rather than jobs. Um, cause you seem like a person who at a certain point defined yourself as a teacher and as an educator. And I, 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 I have confidence that you would still consider yourself that if you had no income from that. Like you became an educator to help your own son. So it wasn't like somebody, you didn't go out and say, well, if I can find funding to help my son, then I will become an educator. You, you, know, you know what I mean? So does that resonate with you? Like, I feel like it's something that's important for people to actually identify or think about maybe um, what their life vocation is, what brings, the, what brings the meaning, what gets them into a flow state, what does their mind naturally go to? Is that consonant with your experience? Yes, uh, you know, I was pushed into the position that I ended up being in. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I ended up not trusting the reading teacher or the school. Mm. I trusted the classroom teachers. And so, you you know, you just take these things and, and run with them, don't you? And, mm. and the person who you marry has a lot of influence on your life mm. and mm-hmm. where they go. And my husband's a professor. And he's the really smart one in the household. Oh, so wow. I've followed him. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that says a lot because I, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly impressed by you. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but your, your humility is, uh, is definitely, uh, uh, you know, appreciated. That, that's, that's very interesting. I, I wonder if he was sitting in the chair, if he would say the same thing, if, he's, if he would say he's the smart one. I sure hope he wouldn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> my sons have a laugh over this. Oh, mum. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're out there, you've written a book, you've come up with curriculums. Um, so, um, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. And it's nice to, to, to make it about not necessarily just marriage relationships, like, like having people around you, yes, who, who, who you can, who inspire you and follow you can follow in their footsteps is, is, uh, is important, but there must go ahead. But I think a lot of my um, enthusiasm and support does come from my husband and he thinks so widely about so many subjects. Mm. I mean, and he deals with the seemingly opposite extreme of the children that I do, but you know, there's a lot of things we have in common that we, have to engender with these struggling children. 
Mm. I mean, and it's his son too that struggled. Mm. And he would say, well, I didn't think Nicholas had a problem. I knew he'd be all right. But I'm sitting there saying he wasn't all right. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't all right. Well, he certainly wasn't set up for, set up for success in terms of yeah. had he continued on the same path with the same, yes. uh, yeah, in the yes. same system. Without input. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and, and it does seem to me like uh, through this process, you've, you've identified in yourself, like, did you feel activated as a human being? Like, did you feel different about yourself and your skills and, and, uh, and your learning after getting deeply involved in Nicholas's learning? Like, did it change you? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. It made me passionate. Mm, I live the academic research. Mm, right. I read this academic paper called uh, Beyond the Deficit Theory, and it mm -hmm. said, you know, when children fail in school, it'll be because they've got a low IQ. Look at their mm. home background. They haven't done this, that, and there. I read that paper, and I became depressed for a whole week. Mm. Because I it, thought that's exactly what they did to Nicholas. It's not academic for you. It's real. It, yeah. 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 And, and that paper a, was written before, around the time my son was born. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's where people, it's the illusion that people are laboring under. And, and yeah, it, it's, it's tragic. Um, yeah. What, you know, when, when I think of the difference between your husband and, and you in terms of your, um, what your focus is, it sounds like maybe he's more like, he, well, you're just different people, but regardless of, of where you are or what you're doing, unless you're working in absolute isolation, understanding the people near you, uh, like, because th this was all about understanding Nicholas as a person, understanding in a way that was deeper than categories. Yeah. Like he became a category of Nicholas to you. And, and even mm -hmm. someone similar to him, you would do a different thing with them yes. based on what you, on the feedback that you got from them. And I feel yes. like it, it really does tie in. It doesn't have to just be about reading. Your, your story also applies to, you know, treating people as a category, treating people as, as representatives of, of a category rather than as an individual. Because life is so cloudy and so foggy when, when you're in a world of individuals, it's also so much more uh, fulfilling, you know, but you don't, you know, you might not even like, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, this isn't a question either. It's just more um, thoughts based on what you're saying. Cause it applies so much further than, than just reading. Yes. Like learn and learn to know the people and, and treat them as though they have surprises for you. And that they are intelligent. Because mm. we make judgments on children who mm. aren't at grade level. Mm. What is wrong with them? Oh, they just can't learn it. They can't mm. learn it because they're not very smart mm. or whatever. And yeah. that's the thought process. I ignore that. I can teach this child to read. He's super smart. He's capable of doing anything. Let's find out how we can do it and mm. show him he's smart. That's mm -hmm. my thinking. Mm. I'm fascinated by you saying about empathy because my husband said, you know, as a professor, I'm only interested in C and E students. Okay. Students who are curious. Okay. 
and students who are empathetic. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have I have felt that empathy is is what unlocks certainly wisdom. Not right. necessarily. In, empathy doesn't unlock intelligence, but it unlocks intelligence that will change the world. World. That will intelligence that will be useful to anybody. That yes. is activated by empathy. So that's quite wonderful. What does your husband teach, if you don't mind me asking? What Civil engineering. Okay. Oh, wow. And yeah. so, I mean, that's, that's, that's very interesting and so cool that he would be interested in empathy in that way because empathy is clearly a part of civil engineering. Yes. You, you almost have to have a love for society because you're moving people around and you're, you're playing God with, with their physical space. You know, you're, you're creating this, this map and this web of, of, of movement and infrastructure that can actually mirror the map of the infrastructure of the human mind. Like it, it's, uh, you know, I don't know if it gets treated that way, but it seems almost like a philosophical and empathetic venture from the start, but yet it's engineering. So it's, that's right. You can get and if, very. If our sewer systems fall over, the whole society's in trouble. Yeah, that's, that is not good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. It's an infrastructure. Yeah. Well, and I he's, wonder, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, he's into wind effects on buildings, but, you know, it's all part of it. And it is psychology. Mm. And it's what sort of society do we want to live in? Mm. You know, we're asking the bigger questions. We're not just dealing with the sidewalks and the roads. What sort of society do we want? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I'm in with reading. Do we want these children to fail at grade one? And for 10 years, we send them mm. to an institution where every day they know they're going to fail. Mm. That blows my mind that we can do that. Yeah. So would you, would you say that the, um, the education system, especially early on in, in children's learning, is actually creating an infrastructure, uh, sort of like creating an infrastructure uh, for the rest of their lives that uh, that actually reduces their ability to, or, or, or inhibits their ability to be empathetic. In other words, um, if, if a child is learning from a teacher and that teacher um, is not giving uh, insightful empathy to the child and, and that teacher is sort of in the embodiment of learning to that child, does all of this decrease the child's ability to, to show empathy as they go on? Or is that too vague and big of a question? I'm not sure, but <laughs> the results will tell you that many children end up in prison, that there are many mental health issues before mm. of it. So I don't know if it's the issue of empathy or the lack of learning that mm. limits the choices that children right. have because they haven't learned to read. Right. It's a, it's a, a, a soup. It's definitely a soup yes. of things, you know, because if, yes. if, if a child isn't learning properly and then also is developing uh, a low sense of themselves and their own potential, yeah. then they end up yeah. in a, in a lower economic yeah. bracket, which yeah. is really the indicator of, uh, you know, it, it, it's a feedback loop. Yes. That, that yes. goes downward. I think, yes. honestly, looking back based on this conversation and thinking about myself back when I was learning to read, which isn't something I've thought about a lot because I, I wasn't stigmatized. And I yes. wonder if that's a big part of it. 
I wonder if the fact that like my mother, for example, told me that I was smart um, and she believed it like, uh, but yes. so she wasn't lying, but like, uh, I wonder what the same brain would have done if the other messaging had been given to me. Like, cause I had enough of that. I gave an, I gave myself a lot of that. Like, maybe I'm not smart. Maybe I'm not a hard worker because it takes me forever to read a book. Uh, you know, or maybe I'm not a hard worker because my book bag is horrendously messy. My notes are illegible. You know, like maybe I'm not a hard worker. Maybe I'm not smart. I had enough of that myself. If that yes. had been encouraged, uh, if that yeah. negative side had been encouraged, I could be a very different person today. That's right. Not that I'm not that I'm some bastion of success or anything like that. But I'm a person yeah. who doesn't. I don't hate. You're myself. not stopped by what's yeah, happened in your I past. I still Whereas enjoy others, learning. I I think it stops children doing anything. Mm -hmm. Right, and that is just tragic. Yeah, that is really. And when you and when you are in a system where you have now emotionally disconnected from your learning, but you're still physically there. What else do you do but turn that into your your little lab of human nature and torment the other children? You know what I mean? Just because yeah. yeah. you're there, you have to be there. Um, so anyway, sorry. Now I'm ranting. I, I, no, I, it, it's a valid rant, and that's where I go back to Nicholas. What would have happened to him if we'd not left Australia in 1995? Hmm. Yeah, no. it was because he was had well. no strengths. It was well positioned for him not to start getting stomped yeah. in the same into the same mold over and over. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So beyond thinking about. Yeah. So fortunate. Well, I hope that I hope that. No, I don't hope that. I know that you are. Um, you're getting a message out there that um, will certainly have taken root in some parents already will certainly have taken root in a lot of children um, and will have um, maybe kept people out of those negative cycles. Uh, and so that, that being said, is there any way that people can like, is there any way that people can support you or get involved or, or do you have a curriculum that you're selling? I know you have a book reversed. <laughs> um, I've only got the book so far. I'm mm. working on a second book. I'm working on a children's book. Mm. One, one with is the title of I Saw a Cat, mm. which is, you know, the problem my son had. Yeah. So and all of the sight words and how we can teach them, mm. how complex that language is. So that's mm -hmm. quite fun. And mm. I've got Nicholas's story as a child's story. That needs more work. And I'm working mm. on my student Christian, his mm -hmm. story, his story's in our book. And I've got the audio vision, but that's not out yet. And I'm working on a curriculum when writing. Okay. So there's a lot going on. The, but contact me and find ways around the way we can encourage children to read that are fun and worthwhile. Use the iPhone. Ask the child to record their reading and send it to grandma. Mm, yeah, right or, you know, read on it so that grandma yeah. can listen and all of that importance right. of um, response mm. and adult response saying, aren't you fantastic mm -hmm. at whatever level and taking the book and turning it into a play. Mm. Using that's costumes. one I've never done before. That's, that's very interesting. I feel like my kids, uh, I feel like my specific children would really like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. 
Well, um, I, I, I really, yeah, I really think you're doing important work. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. And uh, I, I, I hope that, uh, yeah, all of those things you just mentioned get out there. And um, I, I definitely uh, am, am excited to listen to the audio version of, of Reverse. When do you think that might be done? Oh, hopefully in the next month. I've okay. recorded it and I've, you know, I have a problem. So my speech in the recording is not always clear as it should be. Okay. And there's too many breaths and my son is working yeah. on cleaning it up for me and right. then I'll see how quickly I can get it out. Audio is definitely a different discipline. Yes. Um, yeah, that's for yeah. sure. So, um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate it. You can probably tell I'm, I'm kind of wrapping it up, but is there anything yes. more you'd like to say or get across? No, but you, you've said it. Become a lifelong learner. Mm. Don't give up. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. I, I agree. Such an important message. So. Uh, again, thank you so much for um, just for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you.